0: This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media Thanks to the generosity of our supporters Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily Please make your donation today at vision.org.au Welcome to Leading the Way with pastor and international Bible teacher Dr. Michael Yusuf. King David lived a life like few others He experienced seasons of joy and success but life also brought with it seasons of tragedy. Today, Dr. Yusuf takes you to a time in David's life where God humbled him, and in the process, offers practical words to guide you into experiencing a victorious, spirit filled life through obedience. Right now, though, here's Dr. Michael Yusuf with a message from his challenging series Living Generously.
1: Please turn with me to 2nd uh, Samuel chapter 24 verse 24. David said, I will not offer unto the Lord that which cost me nothing. Now, I just want to remind you again, the series of messages not about money. The heart and the core of the series of messages is not about money. The questions that we're going to see throughout this series is, how much do I love God? And if I love God, how do I show my love for God? How is my love for God manifesting itself? By giving Him the leftover and the unwanted, or by giving Him the first fruit and the best? Now, if you have Second Samuel already open in front of you, I want you to follow with me. Because I'm going to give you a whole lot of history in succinct few sentences. King David of Israel, a man of whom the Bible said that he is his heart after God's own heart. Something was never said of anybody else. A man who, as a shepherd boy, experienced such intimacy with God like very few people have. David, as a young man, closed with the power of God and the strength of God, He goes on and slayed the giant who terrorized the people of God day after day after day. David, the man who wrote these wonderful, magnificent, comforting, and encouraging psalms, that David, the royal King David, messed up royally. I think most people, even non-church people, know how David messed up royally with Bathsheba in adultery and killing her husband Uriah. But that's not the only time that he messed up royally. And every time he messes up, he goes back in tears and cries to the Lord in brokenness and asks the Lord for forgiveness. This time, the way David messed up is that he got up one day, his heart was full of pride. A little shepherd boy, look how far he came. He was the runt of the family. Now he is on the throne of Israel. Look how far he came. And he began to view with pride his success. He began to view with pride his strength. He began to view with pride his prosperity. And how far he came and where he came from. Uh, He began to view with pride how far from a shepherd boy to now being a powerful man. And he said, let's number the people. He said, what's wrong with numbering? I mean, corporations have numbers, and even some churches number, everybody numbers. I mean, the numbers are neutral. Ah, listen carefully. The Bible makes it very clear that in numbering of the people this time, David was not doing it for the honor of God or in obedience to God, but he was doing it out of prideful heart. He was doing it out of wanting, bragging rights. And God's judgment upon David's pride and disobedience was so severe that he began to cry to the Lord again, recognizing his sin. And what caused that sin caused a disaster upon the very people that he was taking pride in, that he cried to God. Verse 10 of 2 Samuel 24, David's heart smote him after numbering the people. I love that old English word. Hear me right, please. Every sensitive believer who is listening to me here or around the world knows what I'm talking about. They know exactly how being smitten in our hearts as a result of sin, it feels like. I certainly do. But the most important things when your heart smites you is to immediately repent and turn to the Lord. It's no use rationalizing it or covering it up. And that's exactly what David did. Same verse, verse 10. David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly. Beloved, who of us who have not experienced that? If God's people who are filled with pride or self-importance or self-satisfaction or self-deception or self-delusion who are filled with indifference toward the will of God, and the mind of God, and the work of God, and the plan of God. If my people humble themselves, how? Just like David did, repenting of their sin by coming clean before God and say, I have sinned, forgive me. If God's people begin to do that across the land, in churches all across America, we would have one of the greatest revivals of all times. I have sinned greatly, said David. I plea with you, Lord, take away my iniquity. I have done a very foolish thing. Let me tell you a fact that this kind of repentance brings joy to the heart of God. But we can't stop here. David did not stop here. And when David said, forgive me, he got up and proved that he truly repented. How? How? What evidence of repentance did he produce? Well, let me interrupt myself just for a few minutes here. Okay, I want to interrupt myself before I answer the question of what evidence did he give. I've heard people through the years, Oh, Brother Michael, I don't know why my prayer is not effective. My prayers are not being answered. All my prayers have no power with God. Sometimes I feel that God is just not listening to me anymore. You can find the answer no further than in this passage. Here's the answer in this incident with David. As a matter of fact, 1 John chapter 3, 22 tells us, when we truly come clean with God, we receive from Him whatever we ask. Now, a lot of preachers love the last part. He'll give us whatever we ask, and they leave the first part. Really? How come? Because when you want to please God so much, when your life is dedicated to pleasing God, when you want to put God first and foremost, His honor, His will, and His desire for you to be first and foremost in your life, you will be asking whatever pleases God, and because you're asking what pleases God, God is going to give it to you. Psalm sixty-six, eighteen: 18, if I keep a sin in my heart, God will not hear me. And Peter later on in first, chapter 3 of 1 Peter, he says, when husband and wife's relationship is out of kilter, God does not hear our prayer, does not answer prayer. And people walking around and wondering why God is not answering their prayer, and they're keeping roots of bitterness in their heart. Do you know why the Bible talks about roots of bitterness, not the fruit of bitterness? Because the fruit can be seen by everybody. Certainly can be seen by the person. But the reason it's a so root, because it's below the surface. Not only other people don't see it, but even you sometimes can fool yourself about it. When you're carrying bitterness, when you're carrying grudges, God will not hear and answer your prayers. God is not going to bless your ministry. If I keep a sin in my heart, God will not hear me. The tragedy of our generation is so many preachers are preaching the opposite of the Word of God. They say, whatever you want, all you need to do is you name that, then you claim that, and it's yours. That's not what the Bible said. My Bible doesn't say that. My Bible said that if I please the Lord first and foremost, if I come clean with God on a regular basis, then He will grant me what I'm praying for. Now I'll give you the answer as to why, after grieving over His sin and repenting of His sin, David proceeded to provide evidence of his repentance. He says, Lord, okay, I will do whatever you ask me to do. When was the last time you asked God, God, what is it you want me to do? There are many people afraid to ask that question because they don't want to hear what God tells them. God, what do you want me to do? God, it's what you want, not what I want. God is what you name, not what I name. God is what you claim, not what I claim. I'm just obedient servant. The Bible said that a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. So God responds to David's repentance. and genuine seeking to do the will of God and obey God and honor God, he sent him a messenger by the name of Gad. Verse 18, 2 Samuel 24. Gad comes to him, and he said, go up and build an altar to the Lord. That's what God is asking for. Why is that so important? From David's point of view, he's proving the evidence or the fruit of his repentance to God. Ah, but from God's point of view, this is important. From God's point of view, he wanted David to know that he forgave him and restored him. He restored David to peace with God. He restoring him, his joy of his salvation. Question. Where was the altar to be built? You say, "Why well, is that important? Oh, it is very important. You'll understand now. It is very important why the choice of place for the altar, where the altar is to be built. It's very important. It was in no other place other than Mount Moriah. You say, well, what's the big deal about Mount Moriah? Listen carefully. It was there on that Mount Moriah where God appeared to Abraham, and he said when he's about to offer his son Isaac, and God said to him, don't you lay a finger on that boy. (laughs) God appeared to Abraham, and he said, I will provide myself a sacrifice. I now know that you have a heart of obedience. And then Abraham called that place yahweh yara in Hebrew. You know it as Jehovah-Jireh. Can you say that with me? Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord provides. He provided the sacrifice. You see, the word Moriah, if you just even mouth it a few times, you find that its root comes from Yarah, the Hebrew word for provision or provider. Moriah appeared to be the place of God's sovereign grace. Moriah is always connected with God's provision and grace and mercy. Moriah is always connected with God's peace with man. Moriah is connected with God's blessing upon repentant sinners. Moriah is connected with obedience to God. Moriah is connected with God's own sacrificing His Son, for it wasn't but thousand years from the time of David that on that same Mount Moriah, the Son of God, hung there on that cross. It's a place of grace and provision and mercy, for there God sacrificed His one and only Son. There on Mount Moriah, God paid the punishment of your sin and mine. There on Mount Moriah, He redeemed everyone who would come to Him, believing in Him, surrendering to Him. There on Mount Moriah, He offered salvation to every person who would cry out and say, Lord, save me. Magnificent picture. Magnificent picture. On that Mount Moriah, where Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Yara. He is your provider. He's your blesser. He's your peace. He's your confidence. He's your savior. He is the source of all power and strength. He is your everything. Beloved, if God is to respond to our petition, we better respond to his precepts. Someone may say, and I know that because it was said to me one time a few years ago. Well, Michael, I'm not really faithful with my time and my giving to the Lord, my resources. I, I, I'm really, you know, but I'll keep on being blessed. God is not, stop blessing me. Ooh, you better stop. Stop, stop, stop if you're thinking that way. Because if you are misinterpreting God's patience, if you're misinterpreting God's perseverance, if you're misinterpreting God's graciousness, for take it and think that you got away with it. Think again, please. Like some preacher said years ago, payday is someday. Payday is someday. And just because God is patient and He's waiting and persevering doesn't mean you got away with it. Grace was the experience of both Abraham and David and is your experience. Grace is what you and I experienced from Mount Moriah. or called Mount Calvary. On that cross, God called Abraham to Mount Moriah not only so that Abraham would give proof of his faith and obedience, but that my God might give Abraham a proof of his working grace, Amen. which was fully revealed nearly 2,000 years after Abraham, later on the cross, where God did not spare his only begotten son, but delivered him up for us. In David going to Mount Moriah... God was not just revealing his work of grace in clearly forgiving him, in wiping the slate clean, in restoring him, but he is saying to every repentant sinner that I'll do the same for you, I do the same for me. He does the same for everyone. Every repentant sinner received forgiveness at his head. But he also restored David to a place of honor and blessing. But you know, even if we stop here, you miss out a whole lot of great stuff. So you can't stop here. you got to keep going. There's more to come. There's more to come. David comes to Mount Moriah with the attitude of gratitude and thanksgiving to God for forgiving him. He was so filled with thanksgiving and praise for the mercy of God and the grace of God manifested to him in forgiving of his sin. And in that same spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving, every believer in Jesus Christ gives and offers sacrifices to God in whichever time, through talent and treasure, but live that life of generosity, not because it is the law, not because you can buy God or can buy your salvation. You can't in a million years. But out of gratitude and thanksgiving and saying, thank you for saving me. And so he comes up to build an altar. But there was a little problem. And not quite little, actually. It was a big problem. That spot now is owned by an unbeliever, by a pagan, Gentile. Verse 21 Arona. He owns that threshing floor on which David is to build an altar to the Lord. And Arona sees the great king of Israel with his entourage. Man, descending up to that hill. And David says, I, I, I want this land. I, I want to build an altar to the Lord. And the man says, Your Majesty, Your Majesty, it's all yours. Take it. Take it. It's all free. Not only that, I'm going to throw in the oxen. I'm going to throw in the wood. I'm going to throw in everything that you need for the sacrifice to your God. Isn't that wonderful? Kindness of an unbeliever, generosity of an unbeliever. Beloved, listen to me, please. When God works out his purposes, he always works both ends of the line. But here's where you see David's heart of love for God. You see his gratitude. He's absolutely filled with thanksgiving, he was filled with praise to God for his forgiveness. He is absolutely delighted for God that he forgave his sins. And you see that heart. I told you, this series is not about money. It's about your love for God, how much you love God. David is not about to offer his thanksgiving to the Lord on the cheap. A lot of people like to worship God on the cheap. A gracious heart will not serve the Lord in words only, but in action. Beloved, generosity is not a list of rules that come from on high. Don't ever make that mistake. It's not a list of rules that come from on high. Generosity is not just a financial principle. Generosity is your response to the love of God. Is your thanksgiving for His love. When our hearts are aligned with the Father's heart, you will respond in love and generosity. See, money is only an indication It's just an indication of the level of your love and gratitude to the Father. That's all it is. And so David responds to this non-believer in this magnificent verse, which is my verse, and I hope it's become your verse, 2 Samuel 24, 24. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. What is David saying? Do you know what he's saying? Nothing is too good for God. Nothing. Nothing for he gave me everything, and therefore I withhold nothing from him." And the last message we saw, a poor widow who said, in effect, nothing is too good for my God, and then she gave him everything she had. These words of David, listen, they really strike a blow at the phony way in which so many professing Christians in our generation practice their Christianity. No wonder David could say in Psalm 30, verses 6 and 7, When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Oh Lord, when you favored me, you made my mountain stand firm. Now, I don't know about you. I know a lot about me, more than I want to know. I don't know what pride is filling your heart. Is it the pride of success, the pride of achievement, the pride of accomplishment? pride of accumulation? Is it a pride of your net worth? You only can answer that. Nobody can answer it for you. Is it a pride of knowledge? Take your pick. Whatever causes you pride that is raking havoc in your life and stopping the blessing of God from flowing into your life, today you can absolutely, absolutely wipe the slate clean. Amen? whatever that is holding you back from giving generously to the Lord, all of yourself, repent of it. Repent of it today. God can literally push a real restart button. Then prove the evidence of your repentance by saying, Lord, what would you have me do, regardless of the cost?
0: A challenge to eradicate pride in your life. You're listening to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef.
1: You often hear me say this and you're going to hear me until I die that Jesus is not the best way to God the Father. Jesus is not a great way to God the Father. Jesus is the only way to God the Father.
2: We spent a lot of years working and just postponing being active Christians.
3: We weren't really going to church. I was always you know, wanting and left needing more. I have trouble sleeping and now I know why that is because I would turn on TBN just to listen to, you know, listen to that and fall asleep listening to whoever was on. Well, I was sleeping and something said, you know, wake up, wake up. And I heard this distinct voice, this calming, very loving and woke Dave up (laughs) and I said, we have to check out this guy from Leading the Way. So next morning we got up and we started Googling and looking into Leading the Way and found out about Dr. Youssef. And that was the start of it.
2: I'd never made it through the Bible or never read the Bible. And so I really didn't know what I was missing out on. And uh, he helped us get it, and he motivated us to take it up a notch, Mm -hmm. you know, like, we need more. We need to do better. Gosh, once once we've seen Dr. Youssef on TV, it's like, boy, this guy's the real deal.
1: The only reason we are even
2: qualified to come to the throne room of
1: God is because Jesus already paid the penalty of our sins on the cross.
2: You can trust that he's gonna do the best with with whatever we give him.
3: And he speaks the truth, because I don't want anybody just to candy coat things. I I want the truth.
1: Every human being will end up in one of two places and for all of eternity.
2: He has a mission. I mean, he spells it out. He's very deliberate on what he wants to accomplish.
1: It is a strategic plan that God laid on my heart with the goal of seeing one million people come to Christ by 2025.
2: There's a plan of of what to do with it. That's something as a business, you're always looking at where you can invest. And that's why we look at it. it, it's an investment to us, you know, is, is is that we're not out on the front line, but you know what, we wanna be very supportive of the front line, and that's what we can do because we're good at working, you know, and, and making money, but we're not out there on the street, you know, and you at Leading the Way gives us that opportunity to share in that, and that, that's a big deal to us. 2020 has
1: been a year of challenge, and yet at the same time, it's been a year of blessings. We have reached more people than ever before, and this is the last week for you to participate in partnering with me so that we can continue to reach millions of people around the world. Remember, your end-of-the-year gift. This is the last week. Look forward to hearing from you.
0: Learn more of the impact of the gospel heard and seen across the world through Leading the Way when you call 1-300-133-589 and online at ltw.org, ltw.org. Well, that's our broadcast for today. Do join Dr. Michael Yusuf again next time right here for more Leading the Way. This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth around the world. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To
2: find out more
0: about us, go to vision.org.au.